Hello everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host, I'm recording on a Friday evening out in Reykjavik, Iceland as always. It's a grey night, it's it's not really summery out here right now, it's, uh, it's dark, it's been raining a lot, um, it feels like summer is somewhere above the clouds, or somewhere elsewhere. So it wasn't a very summery environment to be watching the Summer Game Fest, but watch it I did. I'm going to talk about some of the reveals that we saw this year um, in the opening segment of this podcast before going on to talk about two games that I played and finished in the last week, which has been a bit of a rarity since Zelda came out. It's been taking up so much of my attention. Um, But I did actually get through two games, and surprisingly, they were both Xbox Games With Gold. So they were the free monthly games that you get if you are a Game Pass Ultimate subscriber. um, Usually these games are a bit nothingy. They tend to be, you know, bargain bin titles, and I often will download them and never touch them again or just skip them entirely. But this month, it was a pair of games that I've had on my radar and wanted to play. The first one is called Hoa. It was first revealed on a Nintendo Indie Direct, if I remember right but has now come to Games With Gold. And the second one is Adios, and this is an interesting story-driven short game about being a pig farmer who wants to leave the Mafia. So two very different games. I'm going to review them both. I played them both and enjoyed them both as well. Um, So they will be the games that I review this week. But before I get to those, there was a lot of news this week with Summer Games Fest. This is the, uh, I guess it's Jeff Keighley's E3 Analog. Um, A load of game announcements, a load of guest appearances, um, and that kind of thing. Some trailers, some games that we had seen before. Um, I was quite excited about this one, actually. I was looking forward to seeing some new reveals. There's a lot of things that we're waiting on and waiting for, um, and I was hoping that we might get a glimpse of some of those games. It was split into three parts. The first was the Akili-a-thon section, uh, where Jeff was on stage in front of a live audience and showed a lot of trailers. I think there were 25 trailers or something like that. Um, I switched off during this one. Um, It had a strange vibe to it, um, and lots of the games I wasn't particularly interested in. But a couple of highlights were that we got an Alan Wake 2 release date. That's coming out on October 17th. Looking forward to that one. They showed a little bit of gameplay. It looks pretty Resident Evil 4-ish. Lots of creeping through the forest with a flashlight and a gun. Um, We also got a release date for Spider-Man 2. That is coming out on October the 30th, just three days later. Uh, Both of those games were in the uh, the PlayStation Showcase. It's kind of odd that they are three days apart, but there you have it. Um, And then finally, the, the best thing in the showcase and the thing that excited the most people was a look at Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. That's the sequel or part two of the Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, There wasn't a release date for that one, but we did get a look at gameplay. We saw some wide open environments. We saw some uh, shots of the party riding on chocobos. Um, We saw some combat. We saw Sephiroth. 
Um, it was pretty cool. It looks great. Um, I'm curious about how how it will fulfill the promise of being in an open world. Because when I think back to Final Fantasy VII, um, I even think that it was open world in feel, but I don't remember a lot of freedom, actually. Uh, maybe I'm remembering it wrong. It has been like 30 years or something crazy uh, since I first played that game. But I am curious about how open this open world will be. Um, I guess a lot of JRPGs have an overworld map and then you flip to different locations. And this one certainly seemed to show uh, lots of wide outdoor spaces. And I'm just curious how they're going to deal with this particular chapter of Final Fantasy VII. The first game was um, pretty linear. There was freedom of choice and that you could go to different parts of the world. But if you wanted to progress the story, you were moving between markers, really. So whilst there was an element of openness to it, and you could go and do side quests and so forth, it felt linear. It was lots of corridors that you were walking down, lots of mazes you were walking through. Um, and so whilst there was choice, it wasn't a wide open, open world choice. So I'm curious about whether Rebirth will go all the way down that road and just how free we will be in that game. Um, but it looks like it's going to be coming out in early 2024. So I'm putting finishing the remake. I think I'm nearly at the end of uh, Final Fantasy Remake. I'm going to do that this year for sure. And maybe I will make an episode about that game uh, sometime between now and then. One of the game caught my eye in this segment of the show. It's called Under the Waves. It's coming out this year, apparently. It is by a studio called Parallels Studio, who I haven't heard of before. And it is going to be published by Quantic Dream, who are apparently moving into publishing select indie titles these days. Um, this looks really cool. It's like an underwater uh, diving and exploration game from the looks of things with a strong narrative thread to it. So you're swimming around under the sea between shoals of fish, which is something I always love in games. Um, we also saw some shots of a submersible vehicle, like a subnautica style. So that looked cool. And then it has this um, slightly heavy feeling theme of being a diver who lives uh, underwater um, but is dealing with grief, basically. So there is like a, a subplot of being a diver who lives down there, but is dealing with loss. Um, I kind of like the description for this one. They say, set in the depths of the North Sea in a techno-futurist 1970s, professional diver Stan is struggling to overcome a life-changing loss and embrace a new future. Um, this is an interesting looking game. I will certainly keep an eye on this one. The visuals were nice. I always love games that are set underwater. Um, it's nice to just have that floaty freedom to just roam around and explore. And the fact that it has a story too. Um, I hope that it, the story isn't too heavy um, in that it drags down the experience because there is like a sense of wonder that comes with those kind of exploration games. Um, and the fact that that's been paired with a story about grief is tonally interesting. Uh, but the game looks cool and I will keep an eye on that one. That one was called Under the Waves. The next segment of the show was completely different in in all ways, really. Um, the Day of the Devs presentation, which is an indie games showcase um, curated, I think, between I Am 8-Bit, the physical games manufacturer, and Double Fine Productions, which we all know and love um, from their games and also from the huge documentary that they put out. Um, and so we got to see some familiar faces from Double Fine. It had Tim Schafer's trademark, goofy, sparkling humour. Um, and we saw a lot of faces of developers. Every game was presented by the developer. So you got to see the person or the people that are making the game and have them tell you about it firsthand. Um, and it was quite quick. It rattled through the games pretty quickly. 
um, but it showed off 15 different games. Um, the games all look wonderful. It was really well put together showcase. I would play literally all of these games. Um, and I think the format for the showcase as well, I think stacked next to the somewhat sterile, extremely commercial, kind of bombastic uh, Jeff Keighley presentation, which seemed to be packed with like AAA filler content to some degree. I don't know. I just didn't really feel it. I didn't really, um, I wasn't fully engaged by it, but Day of the Devs was the absolute opposite. I was fascinated by every game they showed. The way they showed them was lovely. Um, you got to see the developers in their home environment or in their home city. Um, it's just a good storytelling method of showing us interesting games that are coming. So I really enjoyed the Day of the Devs. Um, there were lots of games. I've got a couple of shout-outs and then a top five um, that I'm looking forward to from this presentation. Um, the shout-out ones are Hyperlight Breaker. Um, we've seen quite a lot of this game. Uh, no Clip obviously are doing an episodic uh, dev diary documentary kind of thing. So I've watched a couple of hours of content about this game at this point. So it doesn't really feel like a reveal. Like the, the more footage they show, um, the more we get to see this world. Um, and it looks great. I mean, I'm all in on this game. I will certainly play it. It's coming to early access in 2023. If you don't know what Hyperlight Breaker is, it is by the developers of Hyperlight Drifter and Solar Ash, um, the studio Heart Machine. And it seems to build off the foundation of Solar Ash, which was this really cool, dark science fiction game where you're moving very freely through a very strange world. Um, Hyperlight Breaker is visually similar, uh, but the twist on this one is that it is about, it's a roguelike open world game. So you'll be exploring um, an open world with different biomes, but it will regenerate upon your death, and so it will never be the same twice. I'm very interested to see how they pull this off. Um, the visuals look beautiful, the traversal looks great, and the combat looks fun too. I was also quite interested in a couple of games where you're building stuff. You're building strange little devices. One of them was called Retro Gadgets, um, and this this had a, an interesting presentation, actually. The developer explained how he likes to homebrew stuff, how he likes to modify handheld consoles and solder things together. Um, and Retro, Retro Gadgets was his vision of being able to do that without all of the hassle. Um, it sounds like it takes an incredibly long time and a lot of attention um, and detail and equipment uh, to be able to wire things up and create these uh, real-life Frankenstein gadgets. And so I guess Retro Gadgets is his uh, virtual fantasy of being able to do that with the click of a button. You can put together different elements from different devices and make all sorts of stuff with uh, different audio outputs, visual outputs and screens, uh, controllers and speakers and inputs and circuits and make them do all sorts of stuff. And we didn't get to see the full range of what it can do, but it was a very interesting-looking game. You're like looking down on a worktop and fusing things together. I'm curious what that game becomes. And there was a game that is in a similar vein called Mars First Logistics, where you're building rovers to get across the surface of Mars. Um, and you have different kinds of wheels, different kinds of propellers, different kinds of claws. Um, and it's not just roving across Mars, you're actually delivering unwieldy objects over difficult terrain. And the examples they showed were pretty interesting, actually. Like if you have to get a big barrel, a big plastic barrel that has sloshing liquid inside of it that is strangely affecting your gravity, and you have to be able to get it onto your vehicle, and then your vehicle has to be able to move whilst holding it up without toppling over. 
Um, and so you can put on different amounts of wheels and different configurations. You can have a flat bed. You can have uh, all sorts of different propellers and rockets and claws and holding mechanisms. So you're building strange little machines, basically. It looks pretty cool. That one was called Mars First Logistics. And the final shout-out game here is called Simpler Times. This is, um, it looks like it's set in one room. It had a really nice visual style. You can pick up objects, rotate them, use them, put on records, that kind of thing. Lots of things to interact with, drawers and diaries and open the windows and look out into the garden. Um, it's a thoughtful game. It's a meditative looking game about packing up your life and moving, um, going through all of the objects and memories of your life. Um, the developers spoke about it in quite a heartfelt way. Um, it looks interesting. It's on my radar. That one was called Simpler Times. Um, and then we've got the top five here. I've got them going from five up to one. These were my most anticipated games from this showcase. Um, number five, I've got Beastie Ball. This is by Wishes Unlimited. It's coming out in 2024, so we're going to have to wait a while for this one. But it's from the makers of Wondersong and Chicory. Um, two games that I really liked, especially Chicory. So it's the same team, but this time they are building um, an RPG with Pokemon elements where you put together a team um, and then the, the team will play some turn-based volleyball. So you're picking your characters, you're getting to know them, you're boosting their stats, presumably. It looks super weird and interesting, like an RPG sports game mashup. Um, but I absolutely trust that team. So Beastie Ball is number five on my list. Uh, number four most anticipated is a game called Summer Hill. Um, this was a really interesting one. I haven't seen a game like this before, actually. It's about shepherding. Um, not just the mechanics of it, like getting your sheep from A to B and keeping them together, but the, the cultural traditions of it, too, because this is something that exists all around the world. Um, there is a strong tradition of it here in Iceland. They have a, a festival called Retir, which I think means Roundup, where people go out on horseback to find all of the sheep that have gotten lost in the wilds and try and get them all back for the winter. Um, I really like the vibe of this game, and the presentation was great. It has a nice-looking art style where you're looking down on all these sheep and trying to navigate them through channels and so forth. And in the presentation, they cut to some really impressive aerial shots of herds of sheep being channeled through beautiful places. So the whole thing has like a, a wistful quality to it. It's like this halcyon countryside good life quality to it. Um, I love the idea of doing a, a slow activity through a beautiful landscape. I can imagine falling into a trance playing that if the mechanics work. So number four was Summer Hill. Number three, a game that we have seen before. This one is called Viewfinder. It is made by Sad Owl Studio and published by Thunderful. And it's coming out on July the 18th. So this one's bearing down quite quickly. There is a demo of it out now on PS5, which I have downloaded and plan to play this weekend. So I'll let you know my thoughts about that next week. Um, this is a super liminal portal style first person puzzle game. Uh, but the twist on this one is that you can take a photograph, which will appear right in the middle of the screen. And then if you it's hard to describe. It's like a visual trick. So if you step left from the photograph, then it has altered reality and you can see behind it the space in the photograph that you've taken becomes real. Uh, perspective becomes strange. Um, there were some basic puzzles that they showed off where, for example, if there is a broken bridge, you can take a photo of the bridge. Uh, move the bridge over the, the gap where it is broken, and then transpose that into life using your camera. Um, there was also a cool one where there was a collectible in a closed room, um, and they took a photo of a door and put it onto the wall, and then you could go into the room and get that collectible. It looks like there are loads of 
creative ways to use the camera. Um, I like the sort of magical realist perspective trickery of it all. Um, one worrying factor in this one is that it, it has voice acting. I hadn't heard that before. Um, and it was a little bit a little bit lame. It was a little bit forespoken-y. Like there was some lady exclaiming, no way, you can change angles with your camera too. And I was like, oh God, this is not what I wanted. When I think of um, things like Talos Principle and Witness and Manifold Garden, I don't think of um, sort of dialogue with all of this kind of hello fellow teens energy to it. Um, I, they are minimal games and they have a sense of quietude and mystery. So I'm a little bit skeptical about the voice acting in Viewfinder, um, but I'm going to play the demo and I will get some thoughts on it. The, the perspective trickery and the main mechanic are really, really cool. Uh, that was Viewfinder. Uh, number two on my list is Cocoon. This is by Yeppe Carlson, formerly of Playdead. He was the lead designer behind Inside and Limbo. Um, this is a really cool looking game. It has a great art style. It looks like you're switching between worlds. You're using orbs to solve puzzles. There is co combat um, and a strange, mysterious, cosmic looking story. If it's anything like Limbo and Inside, it will be a story that you have to piece together yourself. Um, and is not served up to you openly. Uh, but Cocoon looks great, and apparently it's coming in 2023. It has a really strong vibe, uh, a little bit of a journey-ish vibe, I would say, if I had to place it somewhere. Uh, but the most anticipated game that I have here uh, was a game that I had not heard of before. I'd heard of several of these games before, but Sea Salt Chronicles came as news to me. It is from uh, Degut Fabrique. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, Um they are the makers of Mutazione, a super underrated adventure game with hand-drawn graphics, really nice animation, wonderful soundtrack, and just a really thick, strong vibe. You're on an island full of mutants, um, and you're learning how to grow plants to rejuvenate the, the nature and the spirit of the island. A very, very cool game. Uh, Salt Sea Chronicles is the first thing they've made since then. Um, it has a similar vibe. I recognised the art style right away. Um, the overall vibe of their games is so strong. Um, it has a colourful, impressionistic, line-drawn, really identifiable art style. Um, and we saw a few environments. We saw a cutaway of a ship interior. Uh, we saw a half-sunk ocean liner, um, which I guess we'll be exploring. We saw a violently tilted island sticking up out of the sea um, and a strange sort of scientific outpost. Um, this looks great. Um, I'm absolutely here for whatever this turns out to be, and I, I, I just really couldn't wait to get into those environments and to find out what that game is. I trust this studio. So Salt Sea Chronicles was my most anticipated game uh, from Day of the Devs and Summer Games Fest. Um, there was also a final element to this. It was a Devolver Direct, as usual. It was um, like a, a comedic short film as well. I recommend that you watch it, actually. It was pretty funny. Um, there were a couple of games here. They only announced a few, but Sludge Life 2... Um, it has been announced previously, but it's coming out on June 27th on PC only. Um, I'm guessing console ports would follow. I played the original Sludge Life on Switch, and I absolutely loved it. Um, it made the mentions in my games of the year, I think, in uh, 2021. Um, so I'm looking forward to Sludge Life too. It's such a cool game. If you haven't played Sludge Life, check it out. It's a first-person... Um, what do you call it, parkour and graffiti game. Uh, but the world it's set in is so funny. It's this dystopian world full of stoners and teens and um, rioting workers and capitalist overlords. It's super cool, super fun. Sludge Life is awesome. I can't wait for more of it. They say it's going to be huger, weirder, and gnarlier 
and that's enough for me. Um, there was also a game revealed in this one called Baby Steps, made by the creators of Ape Out and Benedict Foddy. Um, if you know, uh, not Benedict, Bennett Foddy, rather. Um, Bennett Foddy made Getting Over It, that game where you're using unwieldy controls, uh, where you will fail a lot to try and climb a mountain using two different arms. Um, this looks like a similar concept, except Baby Steps, you're using um, two independent legs to try and stay upright. Um, it looked absolutely horrible to me. It looked incredibly frustrating. Like, even in the trailer, it was just constantly falling down and flubbing around on the floor. Um, I don't know where the fun is in Baby Steps, but Bennett Foddy has his fans. Um, so there is a new Bennett Foddy game coming. We also saw a little more of Talos Principle 2. This is looking really nice. Um, the visual upgrade on Talos Principle 1 is immense. It looks like it's taken, well, I guess the original came out um, in the early part of the last decade. So um, it has been two generations probably since Talos Principle came out. Um, it certainly looks like it. It looks brilliant. The androids with their moving parts and um, the Asimov vibe of the whole thing, um, the world itself full of shining metal and deteriorated structures and strange architecture. Uh, Talos Principle 2 is definitely on my radar. Uh, and there was a game called Wizard with a Gun 2. Um, I saw a little bit of buzz about this one afterwards, um, but it describes itself as an online cooperative sandbox, uh, which are three words that will instantly turn me off any game. It had a really cool art style, um, so if you're into online cooperative sandbox games, check out Wizard with a Gun. Um, and I guess we have more to come. I think at the weekend there is an Xbox showcase and there is a Starfield Direct, which I'm interested to check out as well. Um, but that was all from Summer Game Fest Day 1. Um, those five indie games, they look great, man. So Beastie Ball, Summer Hill, Viewfinder, Cocoon and Salt Sea Chronicles certainly made it worth watching to me. And before we get into the review section of the show, um, please do let me mention this is a patron-supported show. Um, there is a Patreon at patreon.com slash gaminginthewild and you can support the show for a dollar a month or more if you would like. Um, all of that money goes into making the show better, upgrading equipment, buying the music that I use, and the associated costs of running the podcast. Um, you get bonus episodes. There are now 10. I published a new one this week talking about um, a vacation that I took to Dublin, talking about how I found that city, um, the books that I read while I was there, the feel of the culture, um, and describing some live concerts that I went to see. It's interspersed with some music that I really like. So it's an off-topic travelogue kind of podcast. So if you'd like to hear me talking about something other than video games, um, then you will get those bonus episodes if you become a patron. It's patreon.com slash gaminginthewild, and there are 10 episodes there. You will also get an invite to the wonderful Discord community where people are talking every day about all the games they're playing, sharing all of the, the victories and losses and recommendations and sale tips and so forth. It's a very cool place. You're welcome to come and join us. Patreon.com slash Gaming in the Wild. And with that said, let's move on and talk about the first of the two review games in this podcast, a charming, colourful, innocent platformer called Hoa. So hoa is a word that translates as flower in, I believe, Vietnamese. Um, it came out in August of 2021. It is on PC and all of the consoles. It is the debut game from Scrollcat Studio, based out of Singapore. And they made the game during the pandemic, as far as I can tell, with help from Kix Studio and PM Studio. Um, this one was first revealed in a Nintendo Indie World Direct, and it looks very charming and fitting. It's a very wholesome-seeming game. 
Um, it did medium with the critics. It has a meta score of 68, uh, but that includes an 80 from Nintendo Life, who praised the game's simplicity and visual presentation. Um, and the lowest was a 55 from Easy Allies, who said that it was oversimple to the point of being routine. Um, How Long to Beat has this one at two to three hours. Um, I think I clocked in around three hours, um, but I did do the, the side quests such as they are. Um, and the game studio describes the game by saying, Hoa is a puzzle platform game where you traverse a calm and wholesome world as a tiny fairy named Hoa. The game can be completed in two hours and has the look and feel of a Studio Ghibli film. The mechanics are simple and the game exists as a respite from the anxiety and chaos of everyday life. And I have to say of this one that it's a short, simple platform game that's high on presentation and low on gameplay. It saves the best for last, but doesn't do quite enough to live long in the memory. Um, and I'm not sure how I feel about my own summary there. Like, it's definitely the kind of game that you will play, enjoy, and then move on from, and maybe never think about again. Um, but as I was saying last week, when I was talking about Ravenlock, um, sometimes that's enough. I will say, though, that even Ravenlock, which seemed simple to me um, when I was reviewing it last week, has a lot more going on in it than Hoa. Um, it has currencies, it has collectibles, it has um, different biomes and areas and characters and all of that stuff. Um, this is a, a very simple platformer with just a handful of moves. Um, it's left to right most of the time. You have a jump, you will pick up a couple new skills along the way, such as a double jump and a glide and that sort of thing. Um, it has very, very light Metroidvania elements, um, but they are really, really very light. The levels are quite small probably 10 or 12 screens each with some scrolling areas um, and you will be going once or twice around each space finding the things that you need to progress and then progressing and never looking back um, and you do play as a fairy called Hoa in this one a little sprite with a pointed red cape um, and the story begins when you return to the land where you were born uh, where nature is out of whack for story reasons that will become apparent um, you move through several different areas meeting uh, different creatures, the kings and queens of these little areas, all ruled by different types of animals. Um, and you have to wake them. Um, you have to wake these giant friendly guardians by collecting a couple little trinkets. Once they are awake, they will ask you to fetch a couple more trinkets. They will then give you a new skill and usher you along on your way. Um, they're all quite snappy over quite quickly. I think it's probably 20 minutes to half an hour in each area. Um, and you'll get a different skill at the end of each one, like the double jump, the, the ability to push crates, um, a necessary factor in literally all video games, um, to float. If you are double jumping, you can kind of coast horizontally for a while before gliding back down to the, the ground. So it's like a, a very slow... Um, traversal mechanic that will let you cross larger gaps and a ground pound that will bounce you up in the air if you bounce on leaves and so forth. Um, the areas themselves are really nice. There is a forest canopy where you're bouncing up through branches and across leaves. There are caves. Um, there are, is an underwater section that was my favourite part of the game. Um, and I won't give them all away, but all of the biomes were very well constructed. They all really got the atmosphere across. They are visually very different the colour palette changes, you really feel like you are somewhere else. And and maybe the most fun in this game was uh, seeing what each new area would look like, what each new guardian would look like. Um, and the guardians all recognise Hoa from when Hoa was a baby, um, and they all helped to evacuate Hoa from the island uh, when a, a catastrophe came along. 
um, these unfriendly robots are walking around. Um, they can't hurt you, though. They're, they're spidery-looking robots. Um, if you find one, it will kick you, but you don't have health. You cannot die. There is no fail state. Um, and so if they kick you, you just bounce back, and you can use them to bounce and jump higher. Um, and all of these guardians crewed together to get you out of there because you are some kind of little nature fairy. Um, and now that you're back, you've come to heal the wound in this world. And it is a very beautiful world. I'm, I'm glad that they summoned up um, the name Studio Ghibli, or Ghibli, I never quite know how to pronounce it, um, because it really does look that way. There's something about the brightness of it, something about the, the watercolory feel of it, that really does um, summon that stuff to mind. The animation is very nice too, on your character, and on all the different birds and animals and fish that you all meet. Um, the guardians are all huge and interesting and cool when you wake them. They fill the whole screen and they look down at you with their eyes, and their many eyes sometimes, um, and they tell you a little bit of story and then uh, usher you along on your way. Um, and the gameplay is very, very simple in this game. You'll push blocks to get through tunnels. You will bounce on leaves to jump higher. Um, you will find animals that will respond to you, like a big crab or something. If you stand on its head, you can make it walk left or right and get you to hard-to-reach places. Um, there are light platforming hazards. Um, it's a simple, enjoyable story. It was over so quickly. I did it in two sittings, and it really felt like a breeze. Um, the final level of this game is very cool. That's where the simple gameplay grows a little bit, like right at the death of the game, on the finishing stretch. Suddenly there are all these new mechanics and it looks different and you're like, whoa, what, why was it, like where was this for the whole playtime, you know? It's been such a simple game. Um, and then it really turns things on its head for the finale. Um, it made me wonder what more this game might have been. Um, but the good things about this game are that it's short and sweet. Um, the visual style is just wonderful. It's a pleasure to look at. The animation is nice. The colour palette is nice. Um, there's lots of artistry in the visuals of this game. Um, the gameplay is very simple and easy to understand. I feel like everything is signposted very well. Um, and there were some moments of delight sprinkled in here, uh, largely down to the visuals and finding new spectacular places to look at, uh, platforming up through shoals of swimming fish and that sort of thing. Some really cool moments in here. Um, the bad things were it has a very slow walking speed, and I found myself just wishing for a dash or a run button the whole time, because sometimes you're going from left to right through the same environments again and again, um, and it can feel like a drag. It's like one of those games where you realise you've just been pushing left or right for like 30 seconds, and you didn't have to do anything more. So there's not a lot to do in the game. Um, one of the mechanics to me felt a little frustrating. That's when you have to jump and catch dangling ropes to swing and propel yourself up higher. Uh, the catch mechanic seemed a little broken to me. Like um, I spent like a bunch of minutes just trying to get up this silly little series of rope swings because uh, Hoa didn't seem to grab the ropes when I thought that they would. Um, so I was falling down a lot and it got on my nerves a little bit. And in a game with so few mechanics... Um, so few traversal abilities, it's important that they all work, um, and this one didn't. Um, it does also make you repeat platforming sections, so even though the areas are very small, um, you have to do one lap of them to waken the Guardian, and then the Guardian will basically make you do a second lap of them, uh, which is a little bit tedious. It felt a little cheap um, getting me to play the same screens again and do the same platforming channel challenges again. It would have been nice if they were different platforming challenges, you know, just to shake it up and keep it feeling fresh. Um, and finally, I would say that there weren't really any true distinguishing factors that makes this game stand out. Um, there's a lot of Metroidvanias out there. There's a lot of platformers out there. Um, and this one 
doesn't really bring anything new to the table. Um, the visual style is very nice, but that's kind of it really. I would say this is a serviceable little bite-sized game. Um, I'm glad that I didn't um, buy it on the Switch. I think I would have been, I would have felt like I'd spent too much money on too little game. But the fact that it is on Xbox Games with Gold means that you can play it for free. Um, I'm glad that I played it. It was fun. It was fine. Um, I'm not giving it a hearty recommendation, but if you want something simple and bright and small, if you want to play a game with a, a child that you have, or if you're going to be spending time with some kids and want a game to show them, um, this this could really work. It's, it's nice and simple. I would say young children um, could even get their head around this game. Uh, that's horror. The second game I'm going to review this week is another Xbox Games with Gold title. It is Adios, which came out in March 2021 for PC and Xbox, and it came out a year later on Switch. It is developed and published by Mischief, um, a studio there's not much information out there about, but I do know that it includes Doc Burford, uh, Doc Squiddy on Twitter, if you follow them, uh, one of the people behind Paratopic. Uh, Doc has also worked on Hardspace, Shipbreaker, and various other games in various capacities. Um, Adios got a Metacritic score of 78. Um, How Long to Beat says that it takes 1.5 hours to complete, um, and 2 hours if you want to see everything. Um, I got some achievements during this game, but it turns out that there are a lot of achievements for doing things unprompted in this world, like uh, interacting with things that maybe don't pop up as part of the main story. So if you are someone that likes achievements, then be sure to go sniffing around the farm and interacting with everything that you can interact with. And that is actually quite a lot of things. Um, and the developer describes the game by saying, a pig farmer decides he no longer wants to dispose of bodies for the mob. What follows is a discussion between him and his would-be killer. Um, and I say of this one that it's a short cinematic crime story that could be an interlude from a Tarantino movie. The conversation you have in the game is thoughtful and revealing. The interactive elements do enough to keep you engaged, and the excellent writing in VO makes this a story worth hearing. So this is a game that is entirely in the first-person perspective. Um, you will be looking at the people that you are talking to. Um, it has quite a simple art style, um, but it does enough to get the job done. Um, and the game opens when you, the pig farmer, are talking to a guy in a suit, um, a little double-breasted suit with a tie on. He's got his hair slicked back. And this is the mobster that is going to be accompanying you throughout the game. Um, and it starts off with this mobster like picking up these like little wrapped bloody packages from the back of a van and throwing them into the pig pen where the pig pens are eating them. Um, you help him do so. You have to go over and select a little meaty block and then walk over to the pig pen and throw it in. It's bandaged and it has bloody splotches on it. Um, and you are talking whilst you are doing this. Um, you get little conversational prompts where you can push the D-pad to choose what will be said. Um, I don't think that it vastly changes anything that happens in the game, uh, but it does give you a little bit of ownership about what the main character is thinking and feeling. Um, and the conversation that you are having is about the fact that you want to stop doing this. Um, you just want to get out of the game. Um, the reasons that you have for doing that will become clear throughout the one and a half hour runtime as you talk more about it. Um, but that's the, the aim of the game, is that you're going to work on the farm, you're going to talk to this character, 
um, this mobster, and you're going to try and explain your reasons for wanting to get out of the game. And the graphics in this game are very simple. They're in quite a flat palette. Um, it looks like it's maybe autumn. There's lots of brown, lots of uh, sort of muddy green. And they are simple. Um, there is a black line that appears around things as if they were in a graphic novel sometimes. Um, some things look matte, like the, um, the, the blowing ferns and grass that you walk past. Um, s simply animated, but moving to illustrate the wind. Um, some things are a little more detailed, like there is a car in the garage, there is a, a shiny, fancy-looking car, um, and there are drinks machines that your character will be working on fixing. And those things are a little more um, detailed, um, but the overall look of it is very simple, and I think it works most of the time. Like, it does enough to get the job done, but there are moments when... Um, I think that the simplicity of the graphics actually detracted from the moment. Um, for example, your character at one point is showing the mobster his horse in its pen, and he's describing um, the amount of presence that a horse has on a farm. He says, like, no farm should not have a horse. Every farm needs a horse. Um, and he's feeding this thing apples. And you look over at it, and it's this kind of lunky, simple an ungraceful, blobby kind of horse asset. <laughs> and you're looking at its empty face. Um, and as he's giving this quite moving uh, talk about what, what a horse brings to a farm, um, it just does not match up with what you are seeing. And it certainly snapped me out of the moment. Um, and that happened once or twice. But for the most part, it's a, it's a short indie game. It's a small team. You can't be mad at it. But, you know, it's worth commenting when, when the, the visuals do pop you out of the moment because this game is all about the moment. Um, the movement is really funny in this game, I think. Like, as a 70-year-old farmer, you would expect to be moving at a pretty slow pace. Uh, but this is a, a full concession to video game players here. There is a run button. You can move around at pretty high speed. There is even a jump. Um, you don't need to use it. But I don't know. I think this is a good decision. It might be sort of out of uh, sync with the story and the character that we are supposed to be. But in any game... It's nice to be able to move around in a way that you are familiar with and um, being able to run, being able to jump. Um, it's, it's silly in the context of the story, but I think it was a good uh, concession to the game of brain. Um, it's a slow game, but it doesn't make you play too slowly in the moments when you are walking around the farmyard. Um, and I appreciated that. Um, and the, the structure of this game is that after that initial conversation, when you were throwing those uh, meaty bundles into the uh, the pig pen, um, you decide to talk this out with your, your mobster pal. Um, and you've got a bit of a charm offensive going on here. Like, you have a notebook, which you can pull up by hitting the, uh, the menu button. Um, and it's a checklist, basically. Um, the first item is tell him you're out. And so after that first scene, you tick that one. And then you get some more objectives, and this is just like the checklist of a farmer's day, or, or this specific day. So there are items like um, play horseshoe, or feed the animals, and those get ticked off as you move around the map. Um, so there is a really clear structure to this one. Um, the game is pretty much divided into scenes, um, and between these scenes you're walking around the farm with, with absolute freedom, and your mobster pal just dutifully runs along behind you wherever you go, and you can go and interact with anything that you can see. You can pick up and rotate objects, you can throw them. Um, so there is basic physics in this game, and the farm is nicely detailed. Um, there are barrels around everywhere, crates and bits of material and old farm machinery, uh, you know, like cars propped up for repair. 
things that you see, barns, um, different buildings that have, uh, some of them are open and you can walk in, some some less so, um, and the main house where you live as well. Um, so there's quite a bit to poke around in. Um, this game made me think of uh, Louis from the Time Played 3HR podcast. I think he loves idling in games and he likes a detailed scenario where you can just go and poke around a little um, and it's not too gamey and it's not like the, the pressure is on and your objectives aren't clear. It's just a moment that you can spend in a cool digital environment. Um, and I think Adios certainly has that, um, even though it's a, a very heavy, uh, heavily narrative-led game. Uh, you can go poking around the corners of this farm if you want to, and there are some nice details for you. Um, but as you are walking around, you will see distant meters. So if you look to your left and you see a little diamond that says 35, if you look to your right and it says 78, that is how many meters away you are from a story section. So after you've done that initial body disposal section and revealed your intent to your mobster friend, uh, you will go to a barn, unlock the door, um, and inside are some drinks machines that you like to tinker with as a hobby. Uh, you talk about that, um, and it becomes clear that this conversation is going to be um, about the topic at hand, about you wanting to leave the mob, um, but also um, you've known this guy for a while, and so you have some shared history, um, and that will come up. Um, the main character will tell little fragments of their life story as they are trying to explain their decision, because this explanation, you know, it's, it's life or death. It means a lot. If you're going to try and get out of bed with the mob, it's certainly going to be a delicate process. Um, and so you're trying to fully make your case and give your full reasoning. Um, and you do get to make little decisions here and there on bits of dialogue or replies or the tone of replies. Um, but for the most part, you're going to be witnessing this conversation unfolding whilst doing something else. So, for example, with the drinks machines, you can hit different buttons. It will dispense different cans. You can uh, throw those cans. You can put them down. You can offer one up. And the conversation is unfolding as you're just playing around in the sandboxy little room that you are in. Um, other sections include, like if you head to another place in the, the map, uh, throwing horseshoes. So you will compete in a little physics game of trying to throw horseshoes onto a peg. Um, so you're getting points, you're competing against the guy that you're talking to, but you're also just soaking in the conversation. Um, and they are having this like idyllic little moment, you know, even with all of the stress of it all. Um, other moments include things like fishing or like repairing something or dealing with animals. Um, and each one is like a little interlude, a little scene. And when you put them all together, they're like bricks in the wall that make you understand what this story is. And whenever you start one, it has a title that will flash up in a big white font, front and centre, like the car, the horse, the dog, and so forth. I really like that too. Um, it punctuated the game. It gave it chapters. It felt uh, filmic. Um, a lot of this game feels like cinema or feels like a play. Um, and talking to the gangster, I mean, I love the way that the details of your life just shake out through dialogue. Um, none of it is expositional. It's not like the character is... It's what I was talking about on the, on the last patron episode of this podcast. I was talking about script writing and film. I was complimenting Aaron Sorkin, and I was burning down some other films that have expositional dialogue where a character literally tells the camera what kind of person they are, just so there's no 
room for error. And I was saying how much I hate that and how much I prefer it when a character will show who they are through their words and actions rather than just explain it to you. It's it's level one writing, really. Um, but this game did that really well. So you learn so much about this character through what they say. You learn about their past in a way that feels conversational, like details just slip out from moment to moment. Um, you'll find out about the farmer's wife and what happened to her, uh, why you live alone now. You'll find out about their regrets. Um, you'll find out about their shared history, um, which I won't spoil here, of course. Um, and all the while, the mobster is pushing back a little bit and prying and questioning. Um, and all the while, your character is trying to find some some resolution to follow through and to fully explain this decision that they are taking. It's a really good conversation. It's heartfelt. It has a really natural cadence and pace. Um, the writing is super solid. Um, and the VO is excellent. I thought it was excellent. Um, if this were to be a film or a stage play, um, in my mind, it's like, you know, the, the gold watch segment in Pulp Fiction? It's something like that. Um, this is a one and a half hour game, but it feels like it could be that kind of that little chapter of a Tarantino film that's just slotted in the middle there. Um, some folks in the Discord, I think Dovetail, was saying that um, they felt like this game could have been a stage play. And that got me thinking. I was thinking, <clears throat> who would play these characters? Um, and I think the, the, the sort of southern accent of the protagonist took me straight to Billy Bob Thornton. I think he would make a great job of the, the farmer. Uh, and for the gangster, I think maybe like Steve Buscemi or Bushimi or like Michael Madsen or someone like that, like a long-in-the-tooth um, gangster type. You know, I guess I'm just thinking of Reservoir Dogs and Boardwalk Empire and those kinds of things. Um, but I think that those two could do a really good job of playing the gangster. Um, and it certainly does have this this filmic, theatrical feel to it. You do feel like you are sitting through a performance. Um, and the activities keep you amused while you're doing it, to different degrees, I would say. Um, the horseshoe throwing is a good idea, but almost impossible to actually play. Like, you throw the horseshoe at a weird angle, um, and the power button doesn't really seem to feel good. It's a bit of a shame. That one was a bust, I think. But you will also do some skeet shooting, which is much more generous. Um, you point the shotgun in the general direction, and uh, the, the skeet, is it called a skeet, uh, will explode. Um, you will do some shit shoveling, which is really funny. Um, there are different trophies for how well uh, or how much or how little you do in these different activities that are quite funny too. Um, you will do fixing a car, feeding a horse. Um, and I got a sense throughout the game that the farmer felt like their life is wholesome and they're looking for the wholesomeness in their life. Um, and that these things, these activities, these like quotidian activities of life on the farm are in some way like healing things and maybe he's trying his best to to set a positive tone for the conversation um, and to win this gangster over and to illustrate the the simplicity of his life uh, to this character uh, show that he is a good simple man um, and that he's he's in his own way maybe he is trying to do his own kind of charm offensive or something like that as for what is good and bad about this game, just to wrap things up here, um, I think that the, the writing is definitely at the forefront of this game. I think the dialogue was naturalistic, well-judged, um, the pacing and the voice acting. Um, it really did feel like a quality production in that way. It was thoughtful. I think it takes, uh, takes a bit of smart to actually write characters in this way. 
Um, I felt engaged throughout the game. Um, I think that the activities were diverting enough for it to feel like an interactive experience. Um, even though it has that cinematic nature, having these like little nods to gamers, like the skeet shooting, the shit shoveling and so forth, um, they were funny. There were funny little activities to do as you are progressing through the game. Um, I liked that these characters had deep histories. Um, I liked that you find out about all of their lives, really. You find out about the things they did when they were younger and middle-aged, and now that they are aging, um, there is a sense that they are coming to reckoning with things um, that I really enjoyed. And all of the little details that fall through the cracks, like when your farmer is explaining that a tree is a rare tree um, that was mostly wiped out in America in a blight, and how special this tree is. All of the little concerns that someone who has been living alone for a long time might have, and the interests that this farmer might have. Um, it felt good, it felt good, it felt right. Um, I appreciated the, the character writing. I like the length. I think the film length is right for this game too. Um, and I do like that afterwards it was a story that I will remember. It's like the opposite of uh, Hoa, which is a, a game that I enjoyed playing perhaps more, but will not remember at all. Um, this is a game that, that will stick with me, I think. Um, I would also like to compliment the sound, actually. Um, the music that we're listening to now is actually from Hoa. Um, there isn't any music that I could find for Adios. Um, so it doesn't have this wistful, sentimental soundtrack, just so you know. Uh, but the sound in the game is great. Like the crows squawking, um, the sound of the livestock, the wind, the branches rustling, creaking. It did a good job of taking me to this place. And I do like the, the thought and detail that was put into all of the different elements of the farm, from the sound to the look to the kind of things that you find there. Um, I think maybe my favourite thing about this game, or my favourite flourish, uh, was chosen dialogue. So sometimes when you get to choose a response, it's three things. You can, you know, you can uh, respond positively or inquisitively or brusquely. So you're choosing the tone, really. Um, but at certain junctures, you would see greyed out dialogue. Uh, where you would normally be able to push down to say something, it might say something like, um, something that the farmer is thinking, um, but cannot say, which is really interesting. So if you push down, um, he will just like make a grunt. He'll be like a, well, he'll just do like a little kind of interlude speech, like, um, well, I don't know, like that, and then won't say it, and that dialogue option will disappear. So these are the things that your character is thinking but cannot say. I think that was a really wonderful touch in this game. Um, it was very humanising, I thought, and I think we can all relate to that. Um, as for the bad stuff, um, whilst the visuals are clear and simple, um, I think they were sometimes... Um, I don't like to be like a graphic snob, and I don't think I am one, uh, but there were moments where the the silliness of the, um, the poorly animated livestock um, took me out of moments where the farmer was explaining like the, the nobility, kind of, of the simple farmer's life. Um, it's not good if it snaps you out of it. I don't know if there maybe some different decisions could have been taken, just specifically with the livestock. I think everything else works really well. Um, I love the details in the house. I love the, the sparseness of it. Um, you can tell that this is a, a small life that this guy has that has perhaps grown smaller over time. And so, necessarily, like, there's not much in the house, there's not much in the, the kitchen, there's not much in the fridge. 
Um, you can find the farmer's son's room and most of it is boxed up because they have moved away. And, you know, things like that will come through in the story. Um, and it's nicely represented in the house and the graphics work fine. It was just those specific moments where I thought maybe a different decision could have been taken. Um, some of the critiques that I've seen of this think that it's a kind of a slight experience, um, that you move through the story and you don't get like a big payoff at the end. And I kind of agree with that. I'm not going to give the ending away, of course, um, but I would say that it came quickly and without ceremony um, and that perhaps I would have liked to see things wrapped up just a little more cleanly. Um, the way that it plays out, it's a sudden ending to the game. Um, and I could have used a little more. I don't know, just a little something. I get that it's like a clean end for the game, but I could have done with a little something more, that's for sure. Um, but overall, I would say that Adios is absolutely worth playing. It's a, a well-put-together game with lots of good decisions that have been taken at various points. If you're interested in story games, if you've enjoyed things like, I don't know, the Edith Finches of this world and the, uh, the Virginias of this world, um, then this could be a game that you would really enjoy. If you have Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, then you can get it for free, I think, for a few more days as of when I'm recording right now. And if not, it's cheap to buy. It's on Steam. It's on Xbox. It's on Switch. I recommend it. It's a good little story game. It tells an unusual story of a type that we don't hear very often in video games. That's Adios. So that was my review of this week's two games, Hoa and Adios, uh, both of which are available um, for free if you have Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. Um, it's fun to get good games from that service. I think I've only ever played one game before. Um, that was Yoku's Island Express, and I really enjoyed that one. But for the most part, those games haven't been things that I wanted to play. They felt like bottom of the barrel kind of games. So really nice selection this month. I hope the Xbox keep that up. Um, two really interesting games, two very different games. Um, it was fun to play them. Um, also really fun to talk about all of the announcements and the fun things that we have to look forward to. I'm super excited for loads of these games. Beastie Ball, Summer Hill, uh, Salt Sea Chronicles, Cocoon. We have an awful lot to look forward to. I'm going to play that Viewfinder demo across the weekend. Um, I also got codes this week. Um, I got a code for a game called Smile For Me. It's like a very much an itch.io sort of Steam oddity. Uh, a first-person, surreal, cartoony, nightmare game I'm kind of looking forward to. And I also just got a code for Harmony, Fall of Reverie for Switch. That's a game that I've really been looking forward to. It's a, a visual novel by Don't Nod. It has a really cool art style. Um, I'm, I'm in the mood for that, I think. You know, for visual novels, I definitely have to be in the mood. Um, and for things like the coffee talks of this world, and adios, I guess. Um, but Harmony Fall of Reverie has a really cool look to it. So those are the two things that I'm going to be playing next. I might try and play a little bit more of Humanity, see if I can get into that one. And of course, I have to get back to Zelda. Um, I haven't played it for a week, so this break is extending now. I think I need to get back to it. Uh, maybe a, a week's break was just the tickets. If you would like to talk to me about any good games that you are playing, uh, tell me how you're getting on with Zelda. Tell me if you've played Adios, if you've played uh, Hoa, if you agree with my takes on them. You can find me on Twitter at Gaming in the Wild. 
You're also welcome to come and join the Discord community via Patreon at patreon.com slash gaminginthewild and become a supporter of the show as well. I really appreciate every supporter. There have been quite a few recently and I really do appreciate the support that people show when they become a Patreon and and their presence in the Discord. It's such a nice community. Um, and if you're a listener who has gotten this far in the show, then I'm sure you would enjoy it too. Okay, that's all from me for this week. I'll be back next week with a new episode. Take care of yourselves and each other, and bye-bye for now.